Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. Good morning. It's certainly good to be here with you all today, especially visitors that I've not met before. Welcome. You're going to see the B team in action today. Um, But it's so good to be here to be able to exercise our freedoms to worship the Lord Jesus Christ as we lift one another up to be his hands and feet in service to a needy world. I will make no effort to fill Andrew's shoes this morning. Um, He is a trained and accomplished preacher uh, who probably can't remember the last Sunday that he wasn't standing right here delivering the message. Uh, But he is also well-deserving of a brief respite to be with family in Kentucky this week. If you're visiting for the first time, give Andrew a chance. (laughs) However, his absence does place you in quite a position because Um, You are now in the spot to be as the good Bereans as the good Bereans were when they received uh, Paul. In Acts 17.11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. So, Paul was encouraged that the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to determine whether or not the message he preached was true and in proper context. How much more appropriate is it then today for you to do the same thing while this layman is talking to you? So, I am encouraged to see Bibles open when scripture references go up make sure that we present it in the context in which it was meant to be preached. This is the second message in a series, which we saw just a little teaser up there, that is called New Phone, Who Dis? Small Stories in the Bible, Big Truths for Your Life. And last week, Andrew selected Enoch to talk about the man who walked with God. So it would be logical for you to think that I would have selected Jethro or Gehazi, someone with respect to making a cameo-like appearance in Scripture were similar to Enoch. However, and with Andrew's blessing, this morning's message is going to be on the role of the Holy Spirit as it pertains to our ability to place faith and explain to others the joy we have from sharing the life of Jesus Christ. Now, here's how that message fits into this series, okay? Like some of you, I was brought up in a denominational environment where the expectations were that we would attend a service on Sunday and very little else. 
little encouragement to get into the Word and find out about a relationship that the Lord Jesus wants to have with us. I was baptized as an infant and without any idea of what, what it was or what I was getting into, what was going on. In short, I believed I was a Christian because I was born one. As a result of sermons I attended, I was familiar with the term Trinity, and I knew it consisted of three members. If pressed, I could speak for a few minutes on God as the creator, but I had a secular public school environment that made me confused about evolution. I could speak for a few minutes on Jesus as the Son of God, and I had been told that if I believed in him, I would go to heaven for a reason that was a little too difficult for me to comfortably articulate. However, if you'd asked me to tell you about the Holy Spirit, all you would hear was crickets. It was a topic that was seldom touched upon and certainly was not touched upon coherently to me. So this lesson fits into the current series, not because the Holy Spirit is a lesser Bible person, but because to my perspective, he had been pretty much a mystery until five or six years ago. Okay? That's a stretch, but that's how I justify a message on the Holy Spirit in this series. Okay. The righteousness of God is absolute. And only an absolute righteousness can satisfy the demands of his righteousness. When you and I think to establish our own righteousness, it falls hopelessly and pathetically short of his righteousness. That is self-righteousness, and we know we don't want to have anything to do with that. Our righteousness, the best that we can do, as it says in Isaiah 64, 6, is as filthy rags. But the amazing thing is this. God was prepared to credit all of your guilt and mine to the guiltless Jesus Christ upon the cross so that you, to you and to me today, there might be credited all of the guiltlessness and righteousness of Christ. This is the basis for our redemption. This is the basis of our justification by faith. Justified. God looks at me just as if I had never died because he looks at him just as if he committed all my sins. So, what can the life of the Lord Jesus Christ lived 2,000 years ago do for you and for me today? You may have never thought of it this way. The life he lived 2,000 years ago condemns us as soundly as the law itself. And if Jesus Christ had been born on that first Christmas day only to live that matchless life and go straight back to the Father from whom he had come, he'd have left us doubly condemned by the law 
and by his life. Then why did he live a life like that that can only condemn us now? The answer is very simple. The life he lived qualified him for the death that he died. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He suffered the just for the unjust to bring us to God. He was delivered for our offense. He was raised again for our justification. The Bible leaves us in absolutely no doubt whatever. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquity. And it was the life that he lived that could only condemn us now that qualified him for the death that he died. Now that's familiar territory, isn't it? But that isn't the gospel. That is part of the gospel. That is the threshold of the gospel. So may I ask you this one question? Given that you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Redeemer, who died for you historically 2,000 years ago, once and for all, by the one sacrifice for sins, forever to reconcile you to a holy God, would you tell me this? Does the knowledge that your sins are forgiven for his dear sake in itself equip you for a life of God-likeness? With this rich assurance of your eternal destiny and security in itself impart to you any new capacity to live a different kind of life from the one that you lived before you were redeemed. And I submit to you this morning that the knowledge that your sins are forgiven adds absolutely nothing to your spiritual capacity to be a different kind of person. It may create in you and me, quite legitimately, a holy ambition to be different out of a sense of gratitude and love and a sense of duty to the one who died for you because of an emotional attachment and a sentimental regard, a deep sense of loyalty. You want to be different, but the knowledge that he died for you and your sins are forgiven, that knowledge in itself does not impart to you and to me any new spiritual caliber of living. And, all, and if all that Jesus Christ did when he came to this world 2,000 years ago was to live that sinless life, to qualify him for that redeeming death, and then go straight back to heaven and simply wait for us until he got there, that wouldn't be much of a salvation. It would be a salvation that made us fit for heaven and yet hopelessly inadequate for earth. Yet all too often, this is the gospel that is preached. Come to Jesus, have your sins forgiven. Now roll up your sleeves and show him, get to work and show him how much you love him. As Paul tells us in Romans 5.10, if when we were enemies... If when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, 
being reconciled, shall we be, as a continuing process, saved by his life? Saved by his life. Romans 5.10, a very powerful scripture that I appreciate all the Bereans thumbing through to make sure that we've got it right. So now we have a second statement. The first is, the life that he lived qualifies him for the death that he died. But here is the second statement. The death that he died qualifies you to receive the life that he lived. On your chair, you'll find a complimentary bookmark that you're welcome to take. Um, That's the genius of the gospel. This is what puts heart in it. The life that he lived qualified him for the death that he died. But the death that he died qualifies you and me as forgiven, redeemed sinners, acquitted on a holy basis to receive the life that he lived. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. So we discovered that the life that he lived then can only condemn us. But isn't this thrilling? The life that he lives now, it is the life that he lives now in you that saves you. And the Christian life is the life that he lived then, lived now, by him in you, because he is the only person capable of living that kind of life. This is the good news of the gospel. So Jesus told the disciples to stay in the city of Jerusalem until they were filled with power from on high, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit with the very life that he lived. And he said that they would do greater works than the things that he had already done. Having been with them, he was now going to be in them. You will receive power from on high, and the power that you will receive from on high will be nothing less than my presence, and I will come to you and live in you. And we know that the Acts of the Apostles is the continuation of what Jesus began to do and to teach. The only difference is that now he did it through the indwelling Holy Spirit of those apostles, now re-inhabited by God for God. The band can start coming back up on stage. Now you can see what a wonderfully rich gospel it is that we have to preach. You never invite anybody to come to Jesus just for their forgiveness. You never invite anyone to come to Jesus just to go to heaven. There is only one valid reason why you and I should ever invite any man, woman, boy, or girl to the Lord Jesus, and that is for the Lord Jesus, that he himself might step into their humanity and fill them with himself so that their bodies might become temples of the living God, so that they might literally, baptized by the Holy Spirit into his body, they might become living members individually of his corporate body in general. And that is why you see every genuine spiritual church is an evangelizing entity. For the Lord Jesus is the one who came to seek and to save that which is lost. And given right of way in any individual member, however humble, however young, he will be about his ancient business 
in through every single living, healthy member of that body. The total church evangelizing a lost world is Jesus Christ in action. Jesus Christ in business. The invitation I leave with you this morning is to become less so that he may become more. Let's empty ourselves to become vessels of the unmeasured pouring out of his Holy Spirit.